Hello, and welcome to this week's Aging with Grace podcast titled The People You Elect Are Capable of Making Laws That Can Hurt You, Part 5. Hello, I'm D.G. Linton Gridley, the founder and CEO of Aging with Grace, a company dedicated to providing personal assistance services to our members at home, and we also have our Fountain of Youth Clubhouse, where we have good food, fun, and friends, and a nurse to help our members to their best health possible. And that's just during the daytime hours of 10 to 4 and Monday through Friday, so all of our members sleep in their own beds in their own homes at night. The clubhouse is licensed as an adult day healthcare center, an ADHC for short, but I like to call it a health club for seniors. And we accept private pay, long-term care insurance, veterans benefits, and Medicaid, but not Medicare. I'm hoping that someday ADHC's health clubs will be where everyone on Medicare visits regularly to take care of their health and focus on prevention of diseases and prevention of hospitalizations and prevention of nursing home admissions. I believe Medicare should pay for memberships to ADHC's and give each Medicare recipient a case manager. Memberships to ADHC's Health clubs would save the Medicare system money in the long run and save people who have Medicare and their families from unnecessary grief. So much suffering could be avoided if every Medicare recipient had a knowledgeable and caring case manager. So many illnesses could be detected before they became critical, and so many chronic diseases could be better managed if Medicare recipients attended an ADHC health club regularly. Also, each Medicare recipient should have a website an electronic record system containing all of their health records and accessible to all their providers so the providers could enter such things as physical therapy visits, lab results, psychologist and psychiatrist visits, recommended diets and therapies, modes of transportation, preferred hospitals and hospital visits, case manager notes, and any other pertinent information. That way, each Medicare recipient's health needs would be coordinated and improved health and quality of life would be the result. There is already something similar to that with the PACE program, but one has to have a loss of two or more activities of daily living to enter the program. Why not have a Medicare program before one has a loss of two or more activities of daily living? There is also something similar to what I am promulgating in the hospice program. But why wait until someone is actively dying to give them a case manager, a central electronic record system, coordinated care, etc.? Both PACE and hospice are paid for with Medicare, in other words, government dollars, taxpayer dollars. Your elected lawmakers weigh in on decisions about these programs, these dollars, Please write to them and tell your federal legislators that we need a better preventative care system for Medicare recipients. And do you know why people who have a loss of two or more activities of daily living and people who are actively dying have gotten so much attention from the government and therefore special programs in hopes of improving delivery of care? Because these are the Medicare recipients who are costing the government too much money, of course, In other words, the government is all about treating the problem after it has become a problem rather than trying to prevent the problem in the first place, just like our medical system. 
Yes, a physician's lobbying group, the American Medical Association, has a huge impact on the laws that are made concerning Medicare. Doctors want laws that give them more money in business, not less. Having a Medicare program that focuses on prevention and lessens visits to the doctor would probably scare doctors. The existing PACE program and hospice program probably doesn't scare doctors that much because these pro- those programs have their own doctors who have agreed to work solely for those programs for a contractual amount of money. In other words, they are on a salary and not dependent on patient load, customer load, like non-hospice and non-PACE doctors are. Doctors realize that most people do not want to jump through the hoops if they don't want to use only the doctor employed by the programs. And doctors know that people with a loss of two or more activities a day living or who are actively dying are not that big of a percentage of their patients, their customers anyway. They probably don't mind giving them to PACE and hospice. What follows is an excerpt from the Medicare.gov website, and you can find it by going from the home page, the Medicare.gov home page, to what Medicare covers, and then go to what Part A covers, and then to how hospice works. Yes, hospice is a Medicare Part A program. This was a section on the page about how hospice works. It's a section titled, Finding a Hospice Program. Consider these questions when choosing your hospice care providers. Is the hospice provider certified and licensed by the state or federal government? Does the hospice provider train caregivers to care for you at home? How will your doctor work with the doctor from the hospice provider? How many other patients are assigned to each member of the hospice care staff? Will the hospice staff meet regularly with you and your family to discuss care? How does the hospice staff respond to after-hour emergencies? What measures are in place to ensure hospice care quality? What services do hospice volunteers offer? Are they trained? A hospice doctor is part of your medical team. You can also choose to include your regular doctor or a nurse practitioner on your medical team as the attending medical professional who supervises your care. In addition, a hospice nurse and doctor are on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week to give you and your family support and care when you need it. And that is the end of the piece from Medicare.gov. As the previous article alluded to, everyone should know that each hospice organization is different from every other hospice organization. Hopefully, you have a good one in your area. I think we do here in Lexington, we have, um, it's called Bluegrass Care Navigators. You may be getting tired of hearing me say over and over that cultures vary from organization to organization, company to company, business to business. Culture is more than how the organization operates. It is their value system and how they maintain their value system, how they ensure that they deliver a high quality of care how they train and discipline employees of their organization. With that in mind, here's an article from 1-800-HOSPICE.COM. That's 1-800-H-O-S-P-I-C-E.COM. Subtitled, Find a Provider Near You. The article is titled, Can I Still See My Doctor While in Hospice? And it's dated... March 18, 2022. 
Can I still see my doctor while in hospice? There is a lot of confusion about this question, even among doctors. The answer is yes, but with limitations. Only one MD or DO not employed by the hospice can be paid by Medicare for medical care related to the hospice diagnosis. However, all prescribers can be paid for medical care not related to the hospice diagnosis. Doctors and nurse practitioners can and should get paid for work they do for patients, even when those patients are enrolled in hospice. Denials for these patients are so common that many prescribers give up billing or assume that Medicare does not cover doctors' care during hospice. In fact, a recent OIG report shows that 44% of hospice patients receive Medicare reimbursed care or services not related to hospice. Two simple coding tips can get most prescribers paid for the work they do with hospice patients. Why does Medicare limit what doctors can get paid for during hospice? Medicare pays hospice a bundled rate for all covered services, supplies, and meds a patient needs, but only for care that is related to the hospice diagnosis. This is a great advantage for patients because Medicare also pays 100% for hospice care, saving patients a great deal in deductibles and co-pays. That bundled benefit covers all the medications, nursing, equipment, supplies, aid services, and social services a patient should need so long as it relates to the hospice diagnosis. This explains why Medicare will not pay providers other than the hospice for for services related to the same diagnosis. Because Medicare is already paying the hospice a bundled fee for all services, the other care would be considered duplicate payment. What does care related to the hospice diagnosis mean? A hospice case will have a primary diagnosis submitted to Medicare. It may be something such as kidney failure, pancreatic cancer, heart failure, etc. If a patient needs home nursing for palliative care or a hospital bed at home, that clearly falls into the category of care related to the hospice diagnosis. On the other hand, if a patient receiving hospice care for pancreatic cancer should experience an accidental fall and seek medical attention, care for the fall injury should be considered not related to the pancreatic cancer. Any prescriber should be able to bill Medicare for urgent care in that case. Extra coding requirements for clinicians during hospice. It may be the case that if prescribers submit a bill that is not coded exactly right, Medicare's Administrative Contractors, MACs is the acronym, will reject it immediately. First, doctor's offices need to provide the correct diagnosis on the claim. MACs tend to automatically reject physician claims that list the hospice diagnosis. Second, doctors must put a modifier on their procedure codes. They use modifier GW. The GW modifier signifies that the individual service is not related to the hospice diagnosis. If a claim with the correct diagnosis, the GW modifier, and services not related to the hospice diagnosis is denied for simultaneous hospice enrollment, providers should not appeal that, that, that denial. I mean, providers should appeal that denial. 
And this section's called, Can I See My Doctor for Care That Is Related to the Hospice Diagnosis? Maybe. One MD or DO may bill hospice for services that are indeed related to the hospice diagnosis. This is the doctor listed as the attending physician at the time of hospice enrollment. Some hospice agencies employ their own hospice doctor and will want that doctor to be the attending physician. Other hospice agencies want your trusted family physician or specialist to be the attending physician. In that case, the hospice will follow orders from and report to the doctor you already know. And this next section is titled, How Does the Hospice Attending Physician Get Paid? The hospice attending physician also has some special billing requirements with Medicare. These unusual requirements can be easy to miss or get wrong. One, the hospice attending physician should list the hospice diagnosis on the Medicare claim. Two, procedure codes should have the GV modifier. The GV modifier signifies that hospice diagnosis-related services are being provided by the hospice-designated attending physician. Without these modifiers, MACs tend to reject claims without further consideration. Next section, conclusion. Can I still see my doctor while in hospice? Yes, but with limitations. If the care is not related to what hospice should be doing, absolutely yes. Four out of ten hospice patients get Medicare reimbursed care outside of what hospice is doing. However, some healthcare providers may say the opposite is true due to past billing difficulties. On the other hand, if the care is related to what hospice is doing, only one MD or DO may bill Medicare directly. This hospice attending physician could be the doctor you already know, or it could be the doctor of the hospice agency. You can discuss this with different hospice agencies ahead of time. And that's the end of the article from 1-800-hospice.com. As I said earlier in this podcast, hospice and the PACE program were designed to save Medicare dollars and to help people stay in their homes and communities because research shows that this is what most people prefer rather than having to move to an institution and receive institutional care. Because research also shows that when people have a loss of two or more activities activities of daily living and or are in the last six months of their life, they cost the Medicare system the most money. 28% of all Medicare dollars are spent on the population that are in the last six months of their life. I tried tried to find the percentage of Medicare dollars that are spent on people who have lost two or more activities of daily living, but I couldn't find a definitive amount. However, I did come across an article called Medicare Spends More on Socially Isolated Adults. I saved that that article for another podcast I want to do on how ADHCs, health clubs for seniors, can fight loneliness. <laughs> loneliness is a killer. But now I would like to change directions and talk about my personal experience with hospice. In July of 2008, two days after my mother's birthday, my mother told me that she had been told by her personal physician that she had terminal cancer. Her doctor had told her that she had six months to a year to live. He advised her to make arrangements. I can't remember if he suggested hospice or if someone else did because my mother decided to move from where she had lived in Florida for 35 years to live with her oldest son, 
my brother, in New Albany, Indiana, during her last days. She really wanted to stay in her home in Florida, but she had no family in the area to help her, and she didn't want to move into a facility. I think it was my cousin Judith, who was a hospice nurse in Arkansas, who told us that we needed to find a local doctor near New Albany to refer us to the local hospice provider there. I took my mother to the doctor, a doctor in that area, for the diagnosis. I called the local hospice provider in southern Indiana. It was called Hosperus. I lived two hours away from where my mother was staying with my brother, but I made the trip every other day after work to be with her for a couple of hours. It was very difficult, but I'm glad I did it. My only regret is that I wasn't there at the actual moment she died. Only my younger brother and my sister-in-law were there. But hospice was very helpful because dying is a mystery in our culture. Come to think of it, it's treated as a mystery in every culture that I know of. But hospice took some of the mystery out of it by describing the stages that my mother would be going through as she was dying. They provided medications to help with the pain and an aid to help her give her a bath and bed. They sent a chaplain and a nurse to talk to our family in my brother's home. They came immediately after she died and made arrangements to take the body away after she died. They talked with us about how to honor our mother's remains. I really can't remember if they recommended the funeral home or not. I don't remember being the one who chose where my mother's remains were sent. I do remember researching funeral homes, and I remember sitting with the funeral home director with my siblings and discussing the arrangements. My next experience with hospice was in 2017. My mother-in-law had been living with me for two years. She had fallen and broken her leg. She went from the hospital into Cardinal Hill to hopefully be able to walk again with her prosthetic leg. However, she did not respond well to physical therapy, and Cardinal Hill's recommendation, their discharge planner, told me that she should be discharged into a nursing home. I said, no, we are bringing her back to our house. The problem was that my mother-in-law could no longer transfer herself from a sitting to a standing position at all. She could not use the toilet. She was not incontinent, so I was sliding a bedpan underneath her so she could eliminate. The health club for seniors was well underway at that time, and she had been attending regularly and loved it and wanted to go back. So we ordered a special wheelchair for her that turned into a recliner when she wanted to lay back. It also helped with sliding the bedpan underneath her. However, I noticed that she wasn't as interactive as she used to be, and she wanted to sleep more, and she seemed very weak and very pale. The nurse at our health club at Aging with Grace suggested that I might want to call hospice. Hospice came to the clubhouse and met with my mother-in-law and said she was eligible for the program. That That meant that she couldn't come to the clubhouse anymore, that she would receive all of her services in my home. But it was wonderful because they gave her a much better hospital bed than the one we had. It elevated so we didn't have to bend over as much to change her bedding. And by then she was was incontinent and I had to change the bedding every couple of hours. Hospice also talked me into using a catheter even though I resisted it at first because I thought it would be terribly uncomfortable for my mother-in-law. But she didn't seem to mind it a bit. Of course, solids still had to be cleaned up. They also gave us an inflating, undulating mattress pad that prevented her from getting bed sores, but I still was instructed to turn her every couple of hours. Hospice provided all of her medications, too, via the mail, I think. It was through the mail. I remember a case manager came to our house at the beginning before we started receiving services. I remember a nurse coming to the house. 
I remember an aide coming twice a week to give her a bath. I remember a chaplain coming. I remember finding out that they offered volunteer services very late in our experience with hospice. Wish I had known about it sooner. We were instructed to never leave my mother-in-law alone even for a minute. That's pretty hard to do. I had to hire someone to be with her when I couldn't be there if I couldn't find a volunteer. Her son, my then-husband, was not good with being her caregiver. She could only eat, my mother-in-law could only eat and drink very small amounts that had to be held up to her mouth for her to eat and drink. She slept a lot. She didn't talk much, but she would call out our names when she was thirsty. The last couple of weeks, she didn't sleep much at night and would call out our names a lot during the night. That was the hardest part. I can't remember who on the hospice team talked me into moving my mother-in-law into a hospice respite unit at a local hospital here, but I wish I hadn't in retrospect. Hospice will pay for several days of respite for the family to have a break or get some R&R or go on a vacation. I didn't go anywhere, though. Her son or I visited her every day there. It seemed to me that she declined quite a bit there, and when she came back to our house, she just slept all the time. And then she passed away. As with my mother, hospice was there immediately to help us with her remains. We had already decided what funeral home we would use. It was very expensive to transport her body to Indianapolis, Indiana, but that's what the family wanted. Another good thing about how hospice helped my mother-in-law was giving her extended family notice that she was dying, and it allowed the family opportunity, lots of time for family members to come and visit and pay their last respects in a loving home environment. My mother-in-law was 93 when she passed. Another thing I appreciated about hospice was just having a number to call and a person who was experienced with the dying process to talk to and ask questions of. Of course, it also helped that I had a nurse that I had nurse family members and a nurse at the Aging with Grace Clubhouse to talk with. I recommend everyone join a support group if they are helping someone who is actively dying. Of course, we're all dying. We're, go- we're all going to die eventually. The only thing that's for sure in this life is death and taxes, as the joke goes. But we like to pretend that we're not going to die. I prefer to have this attitude. I'm not fearing death, but rather I'm fearing not living. I believe life is a gift, a precious gift, and that we are all responsible for living life to the fullest and discovering why we're here on this earth. Knowing that we have a limited amount of time, and time is precious, not to be wasted. However, if you're looking forward to death, then something is wrong with you and you need to seek professional help. Please, I do this podcast because I want to give you information in hopes that it will improve your health and quality of life, news you can use. But of course, it is all my opinion from my perspective and you have to take it with a grain of salt. Please do research on your own and come to your own conclusions. Be truth seekers. But if there but, but if after doing your research, you discover that what I'm saying makes sense, please do write your representatives and ask them to make laws that will allow Medicare to pay for adult day health care centers, ADHCs, health clubs for seniors, and ask them to make it a law that every Medicare recipient has a health information website, an individual electronic health records website. Ask them to give every Medicare recipient a knowledgeable and caring case manager to coordinate what is needed to have good health and a good quality of life. We are staunch individualists in this country, and we are afraid of the government telling us what to do. I, 
I get that. I'm the same way. And I'm not saying that we would have to do what the case managers recommend that we do. They will be recommendations. But but if someone is found to be incapable of making decisions and they are suffering because of dementia or mental illness or addictions, the case managers would have to go through the guardianship process to determine if someone, if, if they need someone to help them. Guardianship is a last resort and is designed to protect individual rights and at the same time to protect the individual from abuse and exploitation. Becoming a guardian is an awesome responsibility and a lot of work, and I admire and respect anyone who takes that role and does a good job with it. Just as I admire and respect all the unpaid caregivers out there, there isn't enough money in the world to pay them for all the beautiful work they do. All you caregivers, please take care of yourself first, though. Think of the stewardess's speech about oxygen masks while traveling on with a child on an airplane, for example. Hospice would not work without unpaid caregivers, and Pace probably could not either. It makes me think of the song, Thank You for Being a Friend by Andrew Gold. A friend in need is a friend indeed. And with that, I'm signing off and wishing you a week of making happy memories. Bye for now. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the last episode. For more information, please go to agingforgraceinfo.org. That's agingforgraceinfo.org. Thank you. The Health Club for Seniors is your kind of place, so come and join us and age with grace.